One of uh, the unfortunate effects of this COVID-19 pandemic has been an increase in depression among adults and children. If you look at the statistics, especially among teens, the numbers are catastrophic in some cases. And they have jumped because of isolation, fear, anxiety, and other mental health struggles. We heard this morning from the Moore's prayer letter about how people in Ireland are looking for answers because they're struggling to know what's next. And much of the suffering that is felt by both children and adults alike is because of where our thoughts are. In the past year and a half, the thoughts of many people have been on what's going to happen next. Am I going to survive? What if I get COVID? What if I pass it on and all these different things? And, and, and unfortunately, for some, in some cases, um, it has led to people taking their own lives. But this morning, what I would like us to do is not do what the world is doing at present with thoughts being on COVID and the pandemic and, and government and elections and all those different things. I think we through this passage have an opportunity this morning to focus our thoughts on someone who is greater than us in our situation. So my challenge this morning, I think the, the author of Hebrews as well, would challenge us to contemplate our great high priest, Jesus Christ. Think about this morning and meditate on, if you would, there's several words that I could have used. But think about, let your thoughts dwell on our great high priest, Jesus Christ. And there are two truths about him this morning that I would like us to see from these verses. The first truth about Jesus, our high priest, is that he is, is superior to the Old Testament high priest. Verse 1, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God. So what the author is doing is as he's concluded his discussion, uh, going back to chapter 4, verse 14, about our great high priest holding fast to our confession. He's kind of, it's interesting as I've been preparing these messages and going through the book of Hebrews, the author goes from stating fact and then stating challenge. And it goes back to fact. And it goes back to challenge. So there's this constant shift between how we are supposed to live and, and, and then truth, which is good. And we come to those verses this morning where it's, it's more of fact and statements of truth that we're to consider. And so he notes several of those truths about the Old Testament high priest. And, and one of them is that he was just a man. That was just verse 1. For every high priest taken from a man is appointed for men and things pertaining to God. The idea of taken is, is to be chosen. And where was he chosen from? He was chosen from among mere men. Mankind itself. He was taken out of that group and put as a representative of the people to God. There was nothing special in his race or genetic material. He was just an ordinary man called to do a special job. And we can think about the Old Testament in the Levitical priesthood system, how, that, how the, the high priest was chosen. That he was just part of, of, a, of the nation, and he was chosen to represent 
God and to represent man before God. So he's just a mere man, unlike Jesus Christ, who is the God-man, and we'll get to that here in a, in a few minutes. Second of all, the author notes that the Old Testament high priest was to represent man before God. He's appointed for men in the things pertaining to God. That word appointed means to be designated. And the grammar of the word is written as such to show that the choice was not his. God chose him. God gave him that designation to represent the people before God. And what were these, what were these things? Well, he doesn't really say. He just says the things pertaining to God. And what he's doing by using that phrase is to refer to the acts that the high priest underwent before God to challenge the people to obey God, to keep his commandments, to, to make atonement for sin. All that the Old Testament law talked about in, rever- in regards to the worship system, the, old, the high priest was to do. Those were things pertaining to God. So he was the ultimate representative of man to God as he, as he offered sacrifices, as he uh, challenged the nation, as he atoned for the nation's sin on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. That's what he was supposed to do. He was representing man before God. And in doing so, thirdly, he interceded for man. It's the end of verse 1, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. And so what the author is doing here is he's looking at both facets of the high priest's job. The term offering gifts, the word offer here means to bring, and gifts refer to the, all the offerings that could be brought before God. So it's, it's not just limiting itself to the sacrifices. We're all familiar with those, right? I mean, we're, the animal sacrifices, the blood that was spilled, put on the altar, given uh, to cover sin. The word gifts expands beyond that. It refers to the gifts, the tithes of grain that were brought to the high priest, uh, the other forms of worship that the worshipers would bring. He was, he was in charge of those and brought those gifts before God to intercede for the people and for the sacrifices as well. It's those animal sacrifices that, whose blood covered sins and transgressions that people were supposed to bring, whether for personal sins or, or corporate sins. Blood had to be shed, and, and therefore the high priest was in charge of that as well. Now, obviously, when we're talking about his, his role, he was in charge of everything, but he had others to help him, obviously, with the Levitical priest system. And all of this was done for sins. A lot of times we miss those, that, 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 that one word, sins. Everything that the high priest did back in the Old Testament was to atone for sins the deliberate violation of God's character and commands. Leviticus chapter 4, verses 32 through 35, kind of give us a little picture of this, what he went through. If he, that is a worshiper, brings a lamb for his offering, as, as his offering for a sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish and lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill it for a sin offering the place where they kill the burnt offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar, a burnt offering, and pour out all the rest of its blood in the base of the altar. And all of its fat he shall remove as the fat of the land is removed from the sacrifice of peace offerings. The priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the Lord's food offerings. 
And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. So he was instrumental in following all these steps to ultimately sacrifice the animal and atone for sin. Unless we think it was a glorious job, consider all the sacrifices that the high priest had to do every day. All the blood and the slaughter that was occurring day by day, the offerings that were being brought. That was his job. That was his role. He had interceded for man. But not only did he intercede for man, I think this is interesting, the author notes that he identified with those for whom he interceded. Verse 2, he can have compassion on those who are ignorant, going astray since he himself is also subject to weakness. That, that phrase, have compassion, means to deal gently with. And it's interesting from a grammatical standpoint, this is the only time that word is used in all of the New Testament. And so as such, I just did a little bit of digging, and uh, one of the commentaries, the New American Commentary uh, by D.L. Allen, kind of put it this way, describing this word, having compassion. A priest would need to avoid personal feelings of impatience or disgust with the sinner while interceding with God on the sinner's behalf. So, So as the worshiper is coming, He's sinned, he's offering his sin, and, and he's confessing it. He had to confess it. He puts his hand on the lamb, as Leviticus 4 talks about, and confesses his sin. Think about the, what the high priest has to hear. He has to hear what this guy just did, or confesses to doing. And how hard would it not be to be disgusted by what that guy just told you he did? I tell you what, I'm learning this as a parent. Um... <laughs> Parenting is interesting, as you all know. Um, but Josiah is now at that point where he's experiencing more and more of his sin nature. Um, and, and I'm coming to him, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with identifying with him because I get so frustrated when he sins. And we had this discussion the other day. He was doing something. He was being very disobedient. He was in rare form. And... <laughs> And I sat, at the, I sat at the breakfast. I don't know why I said this, because theologically, I know it's what I do. I said, why can't he just obey? <coughs> right? And then my wife, being the loving theologian that she is, says, you know, God kind of gets frustrated with us the same way. Why can't they just obey? You know, God doesn't get disgusted with us. And that was, he, he deals gently with, with us, just like the high priest had to deal gently with those with whom he was frustrated. And I have to be reminded myself that Josiah is a sinner. He's just a kid. He doesn't know any better. We're trying to teach him, and, and ultimately that's gotta be, he's got to be saved in order to fully obey God. But I can't not get frustrated with him. I have to deal gently with him. I have to, I have, to have this attitude of not getting disgusted when he sins and not get frustrated with him. That's not my job as a parent. Likewise, with the high priest, it wasn't his job to get frustrated with those who had come to confess their sin. He was to deal gently with them, have compassion. Grammatically, and here's where I deal a little bit more in the grammar, verse 2 is a participle phrase. Okay? It's not a main verb here. So what this verse is doing is supporting verse 
one, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. And ultimately that supports verse first part of verse 1, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed. That's what he was supposed to do. That was one of his character qualifications, his job qualifications, if you will. To have compassion, deal gently with those who are failing. And he describes two different types of people here. Those who are ignorant and those who are going astray. That, that phrase, those who are ignorant, means to, to not know or to ignore the lack of knowledge or ignorance refers to those who are either deliberately or unknowingly disobeying God. So it covers all the bases. Those who are ignorantly because they just don't know better, i.e. my son. Or those who do know better and are deliberately disobeying. He is to deal gently with both groups. I think it, for me it would be easier to to deal with someone who didn't know better than someone who did know better. But the high priest was supposed to have that attitude towards both groups. And also to those who were going astray. The idea of that, of that word is to be led astray. Those who were continually by their sins leading their lives in, in such a way that they were going astray from the truth. You couldn't call them back. You, couldn't, you, you, you tried reasoning with them, and they weren't listening. They were continually falling into sin. He was supposed to have compassion towards those people, too. And again, isn't that hard? When someone repeatedly does what they know is wrong, and they don't care, it's really hard to deal gently or have compassion towards them. But yet, he was supposed to do that. since he himself also is subject to weakness. So the high priest was to identify with those to whom he ministered because he was just as weak as they were. He was subject. The idea of subject is to, to experience in many ways, to, to go through many different things, the weaknesses of humanity, our human limitations. He was to identify with those to whom he, for whom he interceded which Jesus did. We looked at that last week, didn't we? Verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. So Jesus fulfilled that role that the high priest probably failed time and time again. Yet Jesus fulfilled it perfectly. Notice also with me that the whole Old Testament high priest was a sinner, just like those, just like those to whom he ministered or dealt with. Verse three: Because of this, he is required also, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for his sins. The word "required" here means to to be obligated or to owe. He was under the same obligation as those he served. He was a sinner. He still had to offer sacrifices for his sins. Again, high priest, chief in the nation, the religious system. He still had to offer sacrifices. He still had to go through the whole process of putting his hand on the sacrifice and confessing sin. How embarrassing would that be? You're the chief guy, and you have to come to a fellow priest and say, here's what I did. Still had to do it. 
the same level of sacrifice that he offered for the people was the same level of sacrifice he offered for himself. So he was no different. He had to offer those sacrifices because of his sin. And in this respect, he was no different than the person who came to him confessing and pleading for forgiveness. Which isn't Jesus, right? He never sinned. He is our perfect high priest, and therefore he is greater than the Old Testament high priest. Lastly, notice that the author notes that the honor of being the high priest was God-ordained. And what he's doing is he's showing the Old Testament high priest for who he was as a human being, and by doing so, he is identifying with what Jesus did as a high priest and showing how Jesus is better. The honor of high priest was, was, was not for someone personally. It's either the word takes, is to receive or take hold of. It emphasizes personal action. No one could come up and say, hey, I'm high priest now. No one had that privilege or that right. That was something that God chose. That was an honorable or respectable position. And God was involved in the process. But he who was called by God, the word call means to name or address. God named those who were to be part of the priesthood. The priests didn't do it themselves. They didn't walk around saying, I'm high priest now. No, it was God who called them. Just like Aaron was called to be high priest, so God chose those who occupied that office. It did result of man's work, but God's initiative. God chose, man affirmed. So he was chosen, ordained by God. The honor of being high priest. So that leads me to ask this morning, by way of applications, as you and I just think about Jesus, our great high priest, contemplating him, do you and I realize the immense value of Christ as our high priest? He's not like the Old Testament high priest, and we'll get to that here in a minute. He is so much better. He's not a, he, he didn't sin. He's perfect. He was ordained by God. He identified with us in our weaknesses, yet he did not sin. He undercedes for us even now. And he was a man like you and I, chosen to represent us before God. And if you're not a believer this morning, this, this, Jesus is not your high priest. He's not your intercessor. He is not, he is not the one who died for you, although he can be. If you but accept his free gift of salvation this morning, pleading with him for forgiveness, receiving his love and mercy. But do you and I as believers this morning see the immense value of Jesus as our high priest? Yes, we talk about Jesus as Savior. We talk about him as Lord. It's great. Very true. But so much more comes with him as our high priest, as, as one. And again, we, we struggle to identify with this as Christians in the 21st century. But yeah, he's the one who represents us before God. God represents us before God. I mean, think about that. God himself represents us before God himself. Chose to be our high priest, and we'll get to that here in a second, so that we would have an intercessor before God and would be one who identifies with us in our weaknesses, showing how much we need him and how much he identifies with us and projects that to God, interceding for us. 
Do you realize the immense value of Jesus as your high priest? Secondly, kind of building off of this theme, number one, Jesus is the better or superior to the, high, to the Old Testament high priest, but yet, secondly, he is the perfect high priest. This, is, this kind of flows with what the author of Hebrews has been doing, showing the superiority of Christ. And now to the high priest. He is perfect compared to him. So also Christ, verse 5, did not glorify himself to become high priest. But it was said to him, today you are my son. I have begotten you. Several things the author of Hebrews notes is that, number one, he was chosen by God just like the Old Testament high priest was. So Christ did not glorify himself. The word glorify means to exalt or praise. He didn't put himself in that position. He didn't inquire that state of being a high priest. It was God who chose him. It's backed up by the quote from uh, Psalm 2.7. God called him to that office. Even though Christ had every right to take that position of high priest, yet God chose him to be in that position. And thus he followed the the pattern of choosing the high priest, right? God chose the high priest back in the Old Testament, called him, named him high priest, and here God does the same. He's also God's son. Psalm 2.7, again, is the quote here. You're my son. Today I've begotten you. Again, we, we looked at this earlier in chapter 1. In verse 5, where the, the author uses that quote to reinforce the position of the sonship of Christ as better than the angels. So he's not just a mere man. He is the Son of God. And as being called high priest, he surpasses the requirements for the Old Testament high priest. He is God representing man before the Father. And again, aren't you thankful that you and I have the God of all creation representing us before the Father? We don't have to rely on a a man who is flawed and flagrantly bad. We can rely upon Christ, the perfect high priest. So the author goes on to describe the perfect high priesthood of Christ. And and thirdly, he notes that his priestly order is greater than Aaron's, and it lasts forever. Verse 6, as he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. We also saw this this quote from Psalm 110. Uh, The the psalm quoted again, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 13... You'll note that it's Psalm 110 is used when talking about uh, the angels again. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Again, showing the superiority of Christ. And here, the psalm being described, uh, used by the psalmist to address the human king. Now the author takes another verse from that psalm to interpret it to refer to Christ. You are priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, Some may ask, well, who is Melchizedek? Well, he really appears only once outside of the Psalms and Hebrews in the Scriptures, and it's in Genesis. Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 and following. He is the king of Salem, the high priest of God, as he is described, who comes out and meets Abraham, who's on his way back from the slaughter and rescue of his 
nephew Lot. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 14, uh, God blesses uh, Abraham through Melchizedek. Melchizedek's called the most high priest of God. Verse 18, the Melchizedek king of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the most high of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be the Abraham, Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave tithe of all. So he comes out and leaves this, this time of worship as he blesses God and blesses Abraham in the process. And that's all we have of Melchizedek. We, we really don't have any more history recorded for us. That's it outside of the Psalms and Hebrews. So his priesthood historically has never ended. The absence of those historical records point to that. So what the author is doing is, is he's pointing to a parallel. Just like the Melchizedek, Melchizedek's priesthood never ended, so Christ's priesthood will never end. That's why he's called you are a priest forever. And some might look at that as a contradiction, and, and the point of the, the author is not to find out who Melchizedek, Melchizedek was. His point is to draw an illustration just like the order of Melchizedek didn't end, so the order of Christ's priesthood will never end as well. He remains forever. Unlike the Old Testament high priest, right? Because what happened to him? He died. <laughs> His life ended. His priesthood came to an end. When he passed away, whenever it was, his priesthood was done, and another came and took that office and continued on until the temple was done away with. But Christ's priesthood, his office lasts forever. The author also notes that he functioned as a high priest during his incarnation, right? During his time here on this earth. Verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. The days of his flesh, again, refers to the humanity of Christ, which fulfills the human requirement of the office, right? High priest had to be a man. Christ was a man. Days of his flesh. What did he do? He offered prayers and supplications. This, this, these two terms refer to the content of a prayer, whether it be requests or pleas for action. <coughs> Excuse me. So he offered those as what the, just like what the Old Testament high priest offered. But he did it also with the human emotions, vehement cries, tears. The word vehement cries refers to loud crying. Who was able to him, to who? To God, who was able to save him from death. So he fulfills all the checklists, right? He was a human. He offered prayers and supplications. He prayed to God. He did it with human motions. Cried loud to, to God. And so ultimately what the author is doing is saying that Christ offered the high priestly services to God. To the one who could save him from death. It was to him who Christ offered his prayers and pleas which fulfilled the requirements of the high priesthood. And he was heard, right? And was heard because of his godly fear. Where godly here means, it means fear of God or reverence. The high priest 
And the Old Testament was to be reverent in the fulfillment of his role, or else he faced the consequences, right? If he didn't do things according to the law, offer sacrifices according to the law, what happened to him? Struck dead. But Christ fulfilled all the role of the high priest, even to the point of receiving an answer, because it says, and was heard because of his godly fear. What is, he, what is, what is this passage describing? It's the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And Christ prayed, and, and great drops of sweat fell to the ground, as it were, blood. So in that scene where he's praying to his Father, Christ operated as the high priest. He interceded for himself before God. You remember what he prayed? Father, not my will, but thine be done. If, it, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, let this divine wrath pass from me. Nevertheless, what you will and not what I will. He cried out to God reverently to deliver him from the cross, choosing to submit himself to God's will and not his own. And God answered him by not delivering him from the cross, but helping him through it. Do you remember? That in the story of Garden of Gethsemane, what happens? An angel appears to him, strengthening him. When Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane, we cannot fully grasp what he went through, but he is seeking a way out. Which nobody wants to go through, right? Nobody wanted to experience the death of the cross, the humiliation. Christ was seeking a way out, but it was about God's will and not his. So he reverently occupied the office of high priest, submitting those prayers to God, and was answered as he went through the cross. An angel appeared, strengthening him. So the author points our attention to that fulfilled role. And in his suffering, he completely obeyed the Father. Look at verse 8. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. So, as he's praying to God, he still has to suffer. He was not exempt from it. He experienced it full throttle with the cross. And through that suffering, he learned or experienced the results of what it means to completely obey God. What was God's will for Christ? It was to die on a cross. And Christ obeyed that will and he experienced what it means to obey. It meant death on a cross. Philippians 2 verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The Old Testament high priest could have not completely obeyed, right? Why? Because he was a sinner. And he still had the potential, but Christ, through his suffering, obeyed, learned obedience, did obedience, practiced obedience. And because of that, note that his obedience brought eternal salvation to those who obey him. And having been perfected, the idea of the word perfected means to be complete, finished. He became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. The suffering of the cross, the obedience that Christ went through on the cross, resulted in his completed work of salvation. He is the author. The word author means source or basis. Because of what he did on the cross, he is now the author of salvation. And his obedience that he requires of those 
who obey him is not obedience for works, but it's because they have been saved. That's the idea of to all those who obey him. We believe and we obey because of what God has done for us. Our obedience is not a qualifier for our salvation, right? It's the result of our salvation. So what is he saying? He's saying that Christ is the only source of salvation, and he obtained that designation because of his high priestly work. In a few weeks, we'll get to Hebrews chapter 10, probably not until October or November. I don't know. We'll, we'll see how, how things go. But we're going to pick up, up that thought again of, of his high priesthood and his sacrifice. If, if you just flip over to chapter 10, Look at verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. His sacrifice is our salvation. And as Hebrews will point out, chapter 10, it allows us access to him. And lastly, notice that he is our, our high priest forever. Verse 10, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. The author's bringing this back to our attention. He says, unlike the high priest who died, thereby ending his priesthood, Christ remains a high priest forever. As it were called there means to be designated. He is designated a high priest forever. And it's not after the order of Aaron which perished, which finished long, long ago. No, it's after the order of Melchizedek, whose priesthood lasts forever. So the cross did not only result in the completion of salvation, but secured eternally the designation of Christ as our high priest. He was called by God, fulfilled all the requirements for the priesthood, and finalized it with his death and resurrection the author of our eternal salvation, became our eternal high priest. So let me ask you this morning, are you relying on your perfect high priest, Jesus Christ? You see, in the Old Testament, the, the worshipers had to come with their sacrifices and offerings, and they had to rely on the high priest to do his job to make sure that forgiveness was secure. Oh, and there was the possibility he could slip up, right? He was still a sinner. He was still a man. He was still weak. And yet, if you were an Israelite back in that time, you had to rely on that guy to do his job to make sure that forgiveness of your sin was secure. Well, we don't have that. We have a perfect high priest who secured salvation, offered himself as a sacrifice, obeyed God completely, and now stands before God forever as our intercessor. Amen? We have a secure, high, perfect priest. That's who is representing us before God this morning. So why are you and I depending upon ourselves to make us good with God? when we already have someone who's already taken all care of it. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy he saved us. It's not because of what you and I can do for God, but what Jesus has done for us. So why are we working and acting like we have something to make up to God? <laughs> Jesus has already done that. 
our faith in him, trusting him for salvation, has finished the work that needs to be done. And our mere response is to depend on him as he intercedes for us, pleading for us before God. And making intercession for us who still sin. You and I have a perfect high priest in heaven. And are we continually depending upon him to fill those roles and things for us? Despite the trouble in our lives and in our world today, we have someone that can help us occupy our minds. That person is Jesus Christ. So this passage this morning has given us two truths about him to focus on. That he is superior to the Old Testament high priest. He is better fulfilling all those requirements, yet he is better. And he is not, not just better, superior, but he's perfect. He is the perfect high priest, the perfect one for the job, if you will, and the one that we can rely on. And I want to end with this quote, blessing, if you will. This is written by the early church father, Polycarp. Quote, Now may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the eternal high priest himself, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, build you up in faith and truth and in all gentleness and in all freedom from anger and forbearance and steadfastness, steadfastness and patient endurance and purity. Unquote.